Grab your hard seltzer, a glass of wine, or a shot of tequila. It's time for Girl Talk. Let's get real. All right, here we are at episode seven. And today we are drinking the Bishop Cider Company. We're drinking their Crackberry. Now, is this the one that had the... The arcade? Yeah. Yes. This is the one that we went to... For my birthday? Yes. With the really badass arcade in it. Amazing arcade. Yeah. Yes. And um, they had the Tiger's Blood. My favorite. Oh, my God. Yes. they did. I couldn't find Tiger's Blood canned. I don't know if they make it canned. They might. They need to. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't, Bishop, we need you to can this shit. Um, but the Crackberry is... So good. And the tiger's blood is cracked berry mixed with something, right? It is. It, it, but it does. It tastes just like a tiger's blood snow cone, mm-hmm. but in a hard cider. It's so good. So good. But this cracked berry isn't bad. I like the cracked it's not, berry. It's not bad at all. No, I like the flavor. It's sweet, but not too sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Today, episode seven, we're going to talk about the 12 signs that it's time to move on from a relationship. So this is going to kind of be a lighter topic, but there are some kind of deep discussions that are going to be in here so definitely yeah so um we're using a prompt and i'm going to give full credit to the person who started this list i just can't read their their name so i will give credit to it in our post okay because for the life of me i have zoomed in on this picture i've whoever took this was and i can't find the original creator yeah but i will find it and i will give them credit it's on pinterest and i don't have pinterest i know shocking (laughs) You're not a Pinterest mom? No, I'm not going to be making shit. So (laughs) I will give them full credit for this list, but it's a really good list. So Yeah, Yeah, we were reading over the list and and thought it was a really good list. (laughs) It it goes along with our episode six, which is when when is enough enough. So this is kind of the next. The next step. Yeah, the next step into it is. Like once once you've pretty much decided, and we all know intuitively it's enough. Right. It's just taking that next step and helping to convince yourself that yes it's enough and no it's not going to change and i feel like a lot of these questions piggyback on that yeah that we talked about in episode six for sure yeah uh, so 12 signs again 12 signs that it's time to move on from a relationship um sign number one when you live in past memories more than in the present that's kind of a big Sign. one to start on. Yeah, that is a big one. But but I agree. I, I think that's such a huge sign when you're remembering, remember when we did this and remember mm-hmm. when, and that was great. Or you're longing was, for it even. Right. And, and you remember that feeling that went with those good times. And so you, you feel like you can get that back and you feel like, you know, if we just get over whatever said hurdle is then we'll we'll be able to have that feeling back and you're always chasing i hate to relate it to drug addiction but i I feel like it's kind of like that like you're always chasing that high you're always chasing that emotional feeling that you had in those past memories because it makes you feel good and you remember how you felt whole and complete and good and secure Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden you know maybe you're you're living in times where you're jealous and in times where you're insecure and in times where you're starting to notice, you know, this flab or this scar or I have more wrinkles than when we first started. You know, I wasn't the hot-ass babe that I used to be, so maybe <laughs> he's now looking at hot-ass babes and you're not me. still or, a hot-ass babe. Well, thank you. <laughs> but you do. You get to that point where, you know, if your relationship isn't good, you get to that point where you start second-guessing yourself and your self-worth and your 
you know, everything right. about you. And it does. It eats away at who you are because you do get, at least speaking for myself, I got so lost in trying to chase those good memories that I totally lost myself and what made me happy in the moment because I was just consistently trying to go back to something that wasn't there anymore. Right. No, we're not saying that that can't be fixed. Right. And all of these, we're not saying that it can't be fixed. So we're just going to preface that right now, but we're not here to discuss that. You right. Know, that, that's a that's a different topic. And that's an individual decision. As we learned in, you know, whenever I discussed my marriage in the past, I fought like hell for my marriage for three years, but it takes two to fight for it. Right. And when the other side is just, you know, playing possum and if I play dead long enough, she'll, she'll quit. <laughs> you know, that it takes two to fight for it. Right. So. Well, and, th- and that's a huge difference when you have a, a marriage that's in turmoil and both people want to fix it, then you can, I feel like chase those memories. Like, remember when we did this and how much fun it was? Let's do this again. Yes. But both people want to fix it. And that's the difference. Right. But when you're in a situation like we were in, where we were the only ones that were really putting any effort into fixing it, then no matter how hard we tried to chase old memories, it wasn't going to change anything. Exactly. Yeah. So that's definitely, that's a big sign. Um, And that was, like I said, that was a really big one to start on, but, and maybe I should have started with 12 and worked up, but I think that even number 12 is really big too. So I I feel like they're all big. When you read them to me the first time, I I feel like they're all big signs. And they hit home. Oh, so much. So much. Yep. That they do. Number two, when the relationship brings you more pain than joy. And I think that goes along with, right, with number one. I I know for me, I think that's why people were so shocked that, you know, we when we did get divorced, that we did, was because for 16 years, we were happy. Yeah, we had our hard times, and yeah, there was a bit of a narcissist. So there were times where it was, you know, really bad. But for the most part... We were in it together. There was a fight on the other side. Right. Those last three years, there was a hell of a lot more pain than there was joy. And it forced me to constantly live in the past and want to get back there. But you can't You can't go back to the past. You honestly can't go back to the past. It caused me to focus more on what we used to be rather than, okay, how do I take what we have now and get back to where we we can at least be in love again and and. To me, it just sent me on, on the wrong course, the wrong path, because I was so focused on my pain and living in the past. Right. Well, and, and I think that it just builds up over time. You start out happy. And I think any couple, toxic, non-toxic, healthy, unhealthy, any couple starts out with those happy moments, but it takes a lot of work to keep it at that level. And then if you just get into the ebb and flow of a marriage and then things turn ugly and you're not working hard at those happy moments the pain takes over and it becomes more common at least I know in our case it becomes more common for the ugly to take over and to take its place in the marriage and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds and it just gets to the point for you I know it was those last three years for me I think it was more gradual probably throughout the entire marriage where the percentage just became more and more lopsided happy versus sad moments and the painful moments just took over to the point where the happy moments were almost so few and far between that they weren't worth it you couldn't justify the painful moments with happy moments anymore because they were so outnumbered exactly right yeah that's exactly where i got to it's just one painful moment after another and i don't even know that i could ever get back right 
it within myself to being happy. And I, I feel like that's key is you hit that point of no return and then you're like, shit, I have completely lost myself. Is there any hope? Yeah. And, and when you start seeing that you're so lost that you can't find a way back out, then I think that's a huge sign that you're in a relationship that is not good for either of you. Yeah, that's a excellent point. So then that leads into number three, which is when he or she expects you to change. I have a little bit of problems with this because I know there's that whole discussion of don't go into a relationship expecting someone to change. And I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I think over time, you naturally do. If you're truly in love and you truly want to be a better person for the other person, you do change in, in certain ways. Right. This, this question, I think, has parts of it that we obviously aren't including. Because you, you do or should want to change for each other to, to give the, the best versions of yourself. You know what I mean? Right. Because when I know when me, for me, whenever I started out and was early married... I didn't handle arguments right, and I was super jealous, and I was, you know, and over time, you you do get better for that person, and the things that you would have caused an argument over or got feisty about before, over time, you stop. Right. What I think this means, when he or she expects you to change, I think it means your core person. Right. I think it means more like your values or, yes. or what's very mm-hmm. important to you like changing your religion or changing a relationship with your family or something that's not good for you. Exactly. I, I feel like dual change, working to be better people, which therefore makes you a better couple, is one thing. And both parties should want that because right. who doesn't want to be a better person and then therefore be a better mate to whom, whomever you're with. But changing for negative reasons, I think, is probably what that means. And that happens all the time. I mean, how many... It's happened to us. It's happened to so many people right. we know where you lose part of who you are because you've changed something that you didn't necessarily want to change, but you had to, but you had to because you were given an ultimatum or Or to make that person happy. Oh yeah. My ex-husband's favorite phrase is my way or the highway. So, you know, we would hit this dead end and I didn't want to change something. And that was, that was what he would come back with. Well, it's my way or the highway. You're going to change it or you're going to get your ass out of here. And so that kind of change is unhealthy. Right. So, yeah. So I see the difference there. I'll even go further and say that there's a whole other side of this question, too, that is not just when he or she expects you to change, but when you're unwilling to change. Even I will add a side note to that one. In my case, it was just flat out unwillingness to change. He would not better a situation or make improvements or grow or anything to even try to make mm-hmm. our situation better. And, you know, whenever we started being unhappy or even from the beginning, you know, think there were things that we were unhappy about from day one that, you know, I, I figured over time would get better and, you know, tried to get better or whatever. And I'm by no means was perfect. Oh, I was no. a feisty little shit. <laughs> So I you were that. feisty. I know it's very shocking, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I own that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm feisty to this day, but I also age has made me better. I know how to hold my tongue a little bit better. I know how to, I know how to compromise. Now there was no willingness to compromise. Even after 18 years of marriage, there just never was a willing to compromise. And I'll go even further to say that I just called you the other day because there's no willing to compromise or change or be kind or soft or anything 
is six years after our divorce. Still. Yeah. So there's two sides to that question, I think, or that statement, mm-hmm. the, that sign, I guess, is, since it's the 12 signs. When he or she expects you to change, and then when he or she is just unwilling to change. And expects you to change because they see you as the one being the problematic right. one, but they don't change anything because they're not doing anything wrong. Yes. Yeah. Like we said for, I think it was number one, there's a whole difference in those answers depending upon if your spouse is willing to work with you or if you're rowing that canoe by yourself. Right. If you can't work together, then that's a whole different point. If you're both working together and you both realize that you're doing that wrong, I can see a a little bit of hope there. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just toxic. Yeah. No, I fully agree. So this is number four is the kind of the flip side of this. When you stay on and continue to stay on hoping he or she will change. (laughs) Woo, that wraps up my 22-year marriage. (laughs) Right? That's exactly, exactly why I stayed married to a narcissist for 22 years. Because you do have those little glimpses of good times and fun times and loving times. And then you just always are are remembering that those exist. And so you've seen the, the good side of things and you know that that's possible. And then, you know, maybe the shit hits the fan or whatever happens. And if you're married to a narcissist, they're very good at making you believe that they will change, that things will return to those happy moments. So I think you, you get into that cycle of things are great. Oh, no, not right now. Oh, but things will be great again. And you just keep going and going and going. And then depending on how long you let that go, you can either be honest with yourself and realize it will never change, or you can keep chasing it and hope forever that it'll change. Right. I think in, and I kind of have already addressed it, that you approach it and, you know, you question it and you ask and you plead and you beg. and But when the change doesn't come, there it goes along the lines with that quote on insanity where, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Precisely. And it's never going to, you know, going to happen. And right. so for me, it was, you know, three years of expecting, expecting, expecting and hoping and changing and even changing, you know, the way I dealt with some things, thinking that that would spark. Oh, and for it, sure. <laughs> it, just, it just never did. And then eventually it just, it like punches you in the gut when you realize that this is not going to happen. The change is not going to, you know, going to occur. It's not going to be in the way that I need it to be happy in the way that obviously he needs it to be happy. And so where do we go from here? Now you're faced with a whole different. Oh my gosh. It's such a huge moment when you finally realize that, okay, I've, I've put in everything I can put in and frequently more than once. Yeah. (laughs) And, and they're still not going to be changed. And once you realize that that's likely to be your entire life, that cycle of chasing that change, it is, it's devastating. Yep. You also start to, you hit rock bottom, but then you start to realize this is my life too. For 20 years, it's been our lives, mm-hmm. but now it's starting to be, okay, I'm just living a life for myself and my kids. It seems like, do I do this for the rest of my life where I'm unhappy and I fight for something constantly that mm-hmm. doesn't have fight from the other side? Or is it okay that I get my life back? Right. Or do I just take the leap and hope that it's better on the other side? Yeah. And it's that's a scary. Leap. Oh man, is it a scary, scary leap? leap? Yeah. Petrifying. So that leads us to number five, when you keep justifying his or her actions to yourself over and over again. I did that, I'm pretty sure, for the entire 22 years of my marriage. 
Same. I should have held him accountable at the beginning. I don't know if that would have made a difference, but I think at least if I had some sort of boundaries, I could have attempted to hold him accountable, but I never did. And so it was just basically a free for all the entire time. Yeah. Even when we were dating, I justified his actions. And it's not that they were, I mean, they they were definitely some red flags, but it's not that they were such huge red flags that I think at the time when we were dating, I could have said something had I had I known and understood, you know, the boundaries and red flags to look for. When we were dating, I saw some things. And had I understood my red flags and my boundaries, I could have and, and actually been more confident with myself. I could have spoken up. I should have spoken up and said, dude, I won't tolerate that. I won't tolerate being the butt of your jokes, you know, so that you can get the laugh. You're insecure about social settings, so I'm the ass end of every joke you have. Wow. So that, you know, you you can be comfortable in that setting. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what it was. He hated social settings. He was very insecure and hated having any attention brought to him in a social setting. So to make him feel more comfortable in that setting, I was the ass end of all his jokes. And they were always at my expense. And that happened whenever we were dating. Mm-hmm. So I should have spoken up. Also, I should have spoken up about many of the things that I saw that only got worse as we were married longer. But I didn't. And then once we were married, then we started arguing about them. Well, it's too late to change it because right. now we're you know married and now we have kids. And now... So I wish that instead of justifying them either to myself or to the people around, questioned, wow, you're always a bad end of his jokes. Or wow, he you know is really bad at this. Or he always says this. I wish I would have said something and said, I, I don't like that about you. Just like he said things that he didn't like about me. And he was very Absolutely. open. Right. So why couldn't I be open? I, I, I was the same exact way, though. I just didn't think I had the capabilities or the voice to say anything. I don't know if it was weakness or... Mine was insecurity. I was just going to say it could have been insecurities <laughs> or I think even a combination of the both. Yeah. And I, because I didn't call it out at the beginning, then it became okay you teach people how to treat you, right? So I taught him that that was okay. And then it just got worse after that. Well, if I'm not going to hold him accountable for that, it was like, okay, well, let me try this. Is she going to hold me? Uh-huh. Oh, no, you're going to let that fly too? And the weaker I got, the stronger he got. Well, because he was testing boundaries that you didn't even know how to uphold or that you even had. Uh, right. And that's exactly so. And then I think I probably speak for both of us with this, but I think the empath in me allowed a lot of it to happen because I was just trying to overanalyze and therefore understand, oh, well, he's probably acting like this because of this. Whether it was childhood, he had a rough day at work, he stressed out about ABC, whatever it was, I always had a justification for it to myself, to my girls. And I think I tried so hard to be understanding. I had no boundaries at all. No, I I completely understand it. And like I said, I didn't even know that I I needed to have boundaries or to maintain them or to look for them or to set them or, you know, it's like we talked about in our last episode. We, I didn't even know. You just jump in with both feet and you save your marriage and you do everything you have to do because you expect that from both parties. But that's when the narcissism it says, ha nope, that's not how this yeah, works in no. this situation. No, and you're always going to be overshadowed. You're, you're always going to be trumped when you're married to a narcissist. Always. Always. There's no changing that. And if you're out there thinking you can change that, you're in a dead-end cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, between the two of us, we have 20 years' experience with narcissists yeah. and 
trust me, it, they will appear to change, but it is never mm-hmm. authentic and genuine ever because no. they don't think they've done anything wrong. No. And so you'll you'll lose yourself continually trying to justify their behaviors. Yeah. You will never be right. Nope. Ever. Okay. So number six, when he or she is causing you emotional, physical, or verbal pain. Emotional pain? Oh my goodness. It was constant. It was a constant cycle of, oh my gosh, things are amazing. Oh shit, here it comes. Mm -hmm. And and the gauntlet would drop and then things would get horrible and I would be in emotional pain. I would be ignored for weeks, but then the good would come back again and the cycle just keeps going and going. And I was constantly in emotional pain, constantly. And, uh, you know, there were those moments of happiness in between, but but there was still the pain inside because I was still ultimately knowing that there was going to be another one of those horrible moments, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter how good things were going. And then the physical pain. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia like 10 years into my marriage, I think. Because I was constantly in pain, and the doctors did, they tested me for everything lupus, arthritis, everything. And everything came back negative. So by default, they said, Oh, well, you have fibromyalgia. Here's 10,000 different painkillers. I had no other explanation for the pain. Like, well, okay, I have fibromyalgia. And do you know that pain disappeared when I got divorced? Really? Because I remember you you suffered from it. Yeah. And I had every muscle relaxer and pain pill. My my doctor was like, Here you go. Yeah, you limped for a very long time. And we're in and out of the doctor a lot whenever I knew you in the past. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going through my diagnosis because mm-hmm. I, I went to specialists. I went to so many different doctors hoping for an answer, and then, you know, they, they couldn't find anything. And so I think it was just the stress, and it wreaks havoc on your body. Absolutely does. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I do remember that. Um, for me, I, I definitely can say that he wasn't emotionally abusive. There, there wasn't any abuse in that way. I think when, when married to a narcissist, there comes a bit of you're either emotionally abused or you're just in an emotional turmoil all the time. And that's for me, that's what it was, is that it was an emotional turmoil because I, I felt like it was always just fighting for a voice or fighting for inequality or fighting for what was right for me or I just constantly felt like I was fighting for something and getting no results mm-hmm. and it, it drove me crazy towards the end of our marriage I started to feel like I was losing my god blessed mind because nothing was getting resolved and it just kept piling on me and piling on me and piling on me and I don't know what y'all believe out there but I'm a cancer and I take everything in I take it all in and I hold it in and you know, I take everything to heart and I'm very emotional and I'm very, uh, the, I'm also an empath. So the emotions of the house and the room and all that, <laughs> yeah, I, I take it all in on myself. If you come in grouchy and angry and snap at me, I'm going to become grouchy, angry and snap at me, or I'm going to become sad and moody and depressed because I can't, I can't handle that kind of environment. And I was constantly in this never ending fight for a release a something just give back something right. and I waited and waited and waited and I think he never meant to you know abuse me in that way but mm-hmm. because of his narcissistic ways and his inability to give anything to me to give in in any way it drove me absolutely crazy I bet and then and still and he's still doing it 
Like, you know. Oh, it, yeah. Just the other day we had yeah, this talk even, about. Even yeah. co-parenting now, six years out of our divorce, I, I'm still constantly fighting for an equal footing. I am the mother of your children. I raised them myself while you focus on other things. I deserve the fucking credit for that. Still to this day, will not give me the credit for that. And unfortunately, maybe comments. never will. You know? Yeah, it makes comments to my kids. I'm having to learn that I cannot fight that. I have to just accept it and accept that hopefully my kids, and I'm sure they do, see that I am their mom. And I have been the one that's there for them the majority of the time. And no, I don't have a fucking MD, but by God, I am smart and I'm intelligent. And I've gotten them this far in life. I was the one that did all their FAFSA and I was the one that did all of their, you know, school stuff. And I was the one that did their scholarship stuff. Oh, yeah. So I'm not... You were single parenting before you were a single parent. Exactly. (laughs) I remember that very clearly. Elementary school. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were in the midst of our marriage and people did not know their father existed. So clearly I didn't do a bad job. But to hear the comments, here's the thing. If you divorce someone, I don't care whose fault it is, give that other person credit if they if they're just not a complete and total piece of shit, terrible person that abandons the and they want to be in their kids' life and they are trying, give that other person the credit. Yeah. At least give them props for doing yeah. what they're what they're trying to do. I give him props. Right. I always you say do. I always say he's a good dad. He was a good dad. He was a terrible husband, but he was a good dad. I don't even get she's a good mom. Well, because you're dealing with a narcissist and when you do something to them like we did, because we're the the ones who initiated the divorce, we will forever pay the price for that mm-hmm. because they're narcissists. If we weren't married to narcissists, then maybe we would get to the point where we would have ex-husbands that could say, hey, she did a great job. But I don't know if we'll ever get that. That's true. And, it- and we just have to know that we did do a kick-ass job. It's hard to accept, <clears throat> and it's hard for me to, to hear these comments come back from my children innocently, but know that they were said. You know, Which, I gave you credit when you weren't there yeah. a lot. Give me credit now. And shame on him for doing that, because I don't care if your kids are small or adults. They should not be pulled into the middle like that. No. And my ex-husband did the same thing. And ultimately, he damaged the relationship with his daughters because he trash-talked so much that they finally got fed up with it. And so they don't talk to him at all. But, I mean, that that's a choice he made. If, if you can't pull yourself back and at least say, hey, she might have <laughs> ripped my heart out in their viewpoint. Yeah. But she's a damn good mom. Like, you know, we can do that. We yeah. can say, okay, well, he's an asshole, but he did this well. But you know what? I've driven myself batshit crazy expecting him to be the same type of person as me. Yeah. And he's not. No. And and I don't care who hears that and tells him he's not. He's not the same type of person as me because I don't do that to him and I don't bring our kids in the middle of it. And yes, I initiated the divorce, but it was for damn good reason and reasons that I will do not owe to anyone nor will I continue to defend. You shouldn't have to. They were perfectly viable reasons and I think a narcissist will always try to turn the tables and make it look like we either did something wrong or caused the divorce or we will take the blame somehow mm-hmm. and I'm probably gonna, forever. <laughs> I, exactly. And I'm going to double down on that and say especially when you have a narcissist and it's a cultural religion that doesn't believe in divorce. Which goes for both of us, actually. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's whether true. it's Mormon or Catholic, mm-hmm. you stay married and you make it work. And Oh, shoot me in the head. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Okay. 
Okay, that leads us to number seven. When the same situation occurs over and over again, even though you have addressed it. So I know we talked about being afraid to address it. Mm-hmm. And now... <laughs> Crack. That is Sasha. Crack it open. <laughs> Sorry. Seltzer's call. <laughs> and now we're talking about if you do address it and it just keeps happening over and over and over again, like some people I know. That leads us to number seven. When the same situation occurs over and over again, even though you have addressed it. And I know that we just talked about how we couldn't address it. Were there ever times? I mean, yeah, of course, when it keeps occurring, but are there times when you were able to address it or you got brave enough to address it? I definitely was brave enough to address things over the years. I just can't say that it produced any change. It might have produced some temporary change, especially in the moments where I was feeling particularly strong. And so I came across as serious enough that there were there were changes made but they were always temporary Mm -hmm. and they were always just to appease me and make me feel like something was being done but it was never genuine yeah I think I addressed this in episode six about the my way or the highway and so I would try every once in a while you know to and I wasn't picky I just wanted things like quit calling me a bitch and (laughs) quit screaming at me (laughs) you know just basic stuff like that and yeah, it never did change. I mean, that's the definition of insanity, right? Right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> literally number seven of the 12 signs it's time to move on from a relationship is when the same situation occurs over and over again, even though you tried addressing it. There were times, I mean, you know me, I'm vocal. Mm-hmm. So there were times whenever I would address stuff and, and get very upset and demand representation or some kind of equality in the relationship, you know, just, or even to address something that I didn't want to happen, you know, again. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the big things with us was because he was so ridiculously smart book smart mm-hmm. ridiculous he scored a perfect score on the MCAT scored a perfect score on his uh, boards like wow. uh, I think his first two boards he was like almost perfect and then his step three he was, he was perfect wow. and because of that he has you combine the narcissist with a very very abnormally high intelligence and that was a disaster just waiting to happen it, everyone around him is stupid Everyone around him is beneath him. Everyone around him. Me, as his wife, as his eternal partner, as the mother of his children, I would say something and I would absolutely feel like an idiot in his response to me. And so the big thing was, was I don't, I don't want you to make me feel stupid anymore. I don't want to feel stupid. I'm not stupid. Just because I can't score a perfect score on the MCAT or the state boards for a medical degree, medical license, doesn't mean I'm stupid. I'm actually very common sense smart. And I have been around the track a few times. Like I I know how to, you know, how to handle shit. Mm -hmm. But there was no recognition of my intelligence or my abilities. And still to this day, there's not. And that was, I addressed it. For 20 years, I addressed it and got nothing accomplished. Oh, those were huge issues for me, too. And I wonder how much of that is the, the narcissist-empath relationship because they, they feed off of being better than, smarter than, stronger than, fill in the adjective. And it was the same thing for me. I, I wanted to be recognized for my intelligence because I definitely felt stupid. Mm-hmm. Always. Because you're you're kind of under a microscope and any little thing that you do is just massively major and all of a sudden you're just stupid. Yeah, you're not allowed to just be a normal person. And make with mistakes. No, normal mistakes. <laughs> no. And yeah, no. No. No, the, the perfectionist in me was on call all the time. Mm-hmm. All I was 
always overthinking things. And that's just something I think in the last six months that I've quit doing. I still catch myself doing it sometimes, but as far as constantly overthinking, constantly trying to make sure I do something perfectly so I don't get yelled at, mm-hmm. don't get reprimanded, that stuck with me for a long time because I didn't realize that it was a byproduct of being with a narcissist. Yeah. I just figured that I overly compensate in, in trying to make people happy. I just thought that was my personality, but I didn't realize it was from the narcissism, if that makes sense. It does. And it, in my case... I started labeling myself as oversensitive, which is also what I grew up with my family labeling me. He started labeling me. My kids started labeling me. I was just known as the overly, you know, overly sensitive one. But there's a there's a reason. <laughs> like, I'm not just going around getting butthurt at every freaking thing that happens around me. Like, listen, actually hear me right. and he, hear, hear the, I guess, the foundation of that hurt. And that's another thing is I was I was constantly having to defend myself, like constantly. That was exhausting. Oh, uh, oh my goodness gracious, is it exhausting? And I I think that's why there's physical representation, the physical pain Mm -hmm. from the stress, because it's constant 24 seven thinking of what's going to come next. What could trigger? Am I smart enough to handle it? I did eventually believe that I wasn't smart enough to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. It it did break me down eventually. It weighs on you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 To the, eventually I got to the point where I just thought, well, I'm not smart enough to handle this. And I really did believe that for quite a few years. And I, I knew I was book smart, But I thought as far as personal relationships, I just had no idea what I was doing. And I think that affected so many of my relationships, even at work and with friends, because I just felt like I wasn't right. I wasn't able to have a productive relationship, a good relationship. And so I thought I was antisocial. I thought I had issues. I was just going to ask you if because we were in marriages where we constantly had to be defensive and constantly have to take up for ourselves and always on guard to expect the worst, because with me it did, but did it bleed over into your interactions with other people to the point where I kind of accidentally created that overly sensitive, smart ass kind of uh, reputation, I guess, because like on Facebook, I can't just come back and, and say something now. I notice I come back like, well, now I'm, I'm a lot better. But there for a long time, I would come back very sharp, like very sharp, mm-hmm. like instantly ready Defensive. to defend myself and bring it on, bitch. Yep. And they may have just been, you know, just stating their opinion, which I get now. And I can see now as, you know, I've matured and got away from that environment. But for the longest time, it honestly wasn't my fault. Like I, I was just automatically prepared for the worst case scenario. And that's how I I came at other people. And instead of having conversations, I came at them. And looking back, Jesus, it's a wonder people were friends with me. (laughs) Because I didn't mean to. It's just at home, that's how I had to speak. At home, that's how I had to represent myself was I had to, I was always ready to be laughed at or no. You know, yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is, is that's also what his dad did. And that's also what his brothers did and that they did it to their, his wife and their mom. And so the women of this family are poo-pooed and they're talked down to, and they're not on the same intellectual late, uh, you know, level. And I'm not a person that can deal with that. No, like I'm just not. No. And that's so interesting because that's exactly the same background of my ex. The women are definitely not at the same level. But I took the polar opposite approach to it. I shut down and I wasn't defensive anymore. I think I was at the beginning of the first couple of years when I still had some sort of backbone, but eventually it faded away. 
And I just was so meek that I wasn't the defensive one. I was the nice one. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cheryl. Oh, she's so nice. Well, yeah, because she doesn't say jack shit because she has absolutely no spine. Yeah. So, of course, I was a nice one. People yeah. walked all over me. All over me. So, and you had no spine and let people walk all over you. And mm-hmm. I was constantly attacking people when they might not have even meant any harm. Right, which is so interesting because yeah. it's the exact same path. Yeah. Just you went one different, way and I went the other. Different ways we approached it after mm-hmm. that. Different traits we took on. Yeah. Yeah, and I was very defensive with him, and I kind of learned that was just my way to have that relationship. It was constant. Like, okay, if you're going to be like that, then I have to be defensive. But then I shut down beyond him. Yeah. Outside of the house. Yeah. I just drained that I just, I didn't have it in me. I just was like, okay, you want to do what? Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to take on what? Okay, yeah, I got That this. is very <laughs> interesting that we had took on different traits after that. Yeah. Same path, different traits. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting. Okay, so that leads us into question eight. Sign eight. <laughs> eight something. Eight something. <laughs> When he or she puts little to no effort into the relationship. I think this is one that probably played with my emotions the most over the years because when he did put in effort, things were great. But I always knew when we were on the up that a down was coming. Mm -hmm. And so date night would be great. Flowers even maybe two or three times throughout the 22 years, which is fine because I don't like flowers. But there were great moments, but then I always knew the crash was coming. So there was effort there at times, but then for the important stuff, there was no effort. Mm -hmm. For the communication, for the relationship building, for the raising the daughters, like the things that needed real effort, it wasn't there. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Same, Same on my side. I don't want to say that there was date nights and all that because there there wasn't. Yeah, you guys didn't get that because his schedule was so hectic. Right. We we were, I mean, we had the very rare, rare date night. He would surprise me every once in a while with something. There was little to no romance. And I don't want to sit here and blame him because he was so hyper-focused on medical school Mm -hmm. and undergrad and medical school and residency. And for anybody that hasn't gone through medical school, you have no idea what they are put through. No idea. He was never around. He would do 24-hour... I wouldn't see him for 48 hours because he would stay up all night in the library with hundreds of other people studying and and not come home. I was literally a single mom through that time. You were. We were super close at that time. And I remember not seeing him for days. Right. Even though I was at your house every day. Right. We we did... What's that called? Carpool. (laughs) Yeah. And and so I don't want to... Definitely don't want to blame him for that at all. That wasn't necessarily on him. But there's no romance, no date nights, no, no... Couples vacations. We never once went on a couples vacation ever. Never? Never. Never once. Uh, Honeymoon was the one and only. Wow. Yeah. Well, and we only did, we did our honeymoon and then we went to Vegas for our 15 year anniversary. So I can't say that we did a ton either. We did it with our kids. Yeah, we did go on vacation. No. You don't don't get to have reconnecting couple time. time, (laughs) You know? Okay. So that leads us to number nine. When your fundamental values and beliefs are different. This was a good one for me because he and I were raised in the same church and the same very cultural religion. Mm -hmm. But a huge part of our disagreements and our arguments were because he was raised very staunch, strict, almost fanatical. 
Hmm. And I was raised, you know, where my mom was active, sometimes inactive other times. And it was very weird. We didn't agree on a lot, Mm -hmm. even though we were raised in the same religion and culture. Oh, we didn't agree on how to raise our kids. We didn't agree on some of the the strict rules within the church. We didn't. He one time when we were at a out with friends, you know, and we went out with friends that drank, and we just didn't drink. And she had a margarita, and it was the end of her margarita. And I, you know me, I love lemons and limes, mm-hmm. and I just grabbed her lime. It had been on the top, the rim. She never even put it in. I just grabbed it and took a bite, and he, he like did a little hand flick to my leg, and Whoa. he was like, yeah. And I was like, it never went in her drink. Like I just didn't care that much, and we ended up getting in a big, huge argument over that because I was like, first of all, don't disrespect me like that. I'm not your fucking child. Right. And, but for him to, you know, treat me that way was very disrespectful, and he was like, well, you know, you need to... Oh, remember... Sorry, jump and jump. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the 80s New Year's party? We almost didn't have that. The 80s New Year's party at my oh, house. Oh, I forgot. I remember the party, yeah. but I've forgotten that you guys got into I the- volunteered to hold the friend group mm-hmm. New Year's party. And he didn't want to because he knew that y'all would be drinking. And his very first rule was, okay, but they can't drink. And I was like, I'm not going to have our friend group of 10 years, you know, come over and say, oh, we'll host the party, but y'all can't drink when that's their biggest drinking day of the year. <laughs> and I was like, we, what's the difference? We go to their house and we go to that new year's party and our kids see all the drinking. Right. We're there. We expose our kids to it, but we're willing to host it. But we, you know, I, like I get, don't let it in your house, but this is our friends. There, there's no difference. Right. You know, and they'll take it all home with them. We had a huge fight leading up to that. And he, even to the point where we were getting ready for the party, he was very angry with me that I was going to allow y'all to drink in our home. No kidding. Yeah. And I didn't drink, so I didn't see a problem with it. My kids had already seen, every time we were near y'all, if we were camping, y'all were drinking I think you're calling us alcoholics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are. Y'all drink like crazy. (laughs) John Steven now. That's very true. Welcome to the club, girl. But yeah, I I just, in my head, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that there was a difference, Mm -hmm. but it was y'all bringing it into our home. And so we got in a huge fight about that. So (gasps) our biggest fights were the differences in how we were raised and the differences on how we approached or were, were taught to think about things. So like one time his dad on my birthday made a very backhanded comment, very passive, fucking aggressive, calling my niece a slut because she was living with a man out of wedlock. And I was like, this is my birthday dinner. Hey, let's go celebrate you. Oh, by the way, your niece is a whore. (laughs) Let me just stir the pot a little bit. And then they got mad because I got mad or they got shocked because I got mad. But that was our biggest fights is that we didn't have a, our core beliefs and our core values were hugely different, extremely different. That's really interesting because you came from the same religious background. Right. So so you wouldn't necessarily think that. Right. Whereas my ex and I had absolutely different religious views. He was very Catholic and I was raised spiritually. I wasn't raised necessarily around a a specific religion. And so that didn't cause any points of contention that I can remember. We went to Catholic church and I I didn't care as long as there was some sort of spirituality being learned by the girls. And I figured they would figure out their way eventually. So we didn't have issues with that. I think our 
biggest core beliefs were probably wrapped around raising the kids. And oh yeah, yeah, nah, I think just because in his culture and his family, both the women didn't necessarily do the same things that that I wanted to raise my girls to do here, to be stronger, to play sports, to to not rely on anyone else so that they could be independent if ever needed. Mm-hmm. And that was a big difference for us that caused quite a few fights over the years. Yeah. Ours was in how we disciplined our kids and how we, we raised our kids. Even whenever I was very strong in the Mormon church, there were things that gnawed at me that I, I didn't want to teach my kids that I didn't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. But I'm of the mindset that because I love my religion, I can compartmentalize and and choose not to teach my kids certain aspects of the culture. Right. You know, but that's not the Mormon way. The Mormon way is you live it to your fullest, no matter what. You don't ask questions. All that will be sorted out in the hereafter. Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's fine, but I should have the right to pick and choose different aspects of the culture and the man-made parts and and not be affected by that. But he was a very black and white person, Hmm. as was his entire ancestry, very black and white when it comes to the Mormon church. It's either all or it's nothing. Right. It's either all or you're not Mormon, but I am Mormon. So that was a lot of our, our fights within our own culture is that we were just raised different within it. Hmm, and That's interesting. Yeah, it, that was a constant argument was I didn't mind if my girls were a little tankini or, you know, uh, as Rain got older and she wanted to wear a bikini, I was like, sure, fine. And huge fight. Oh, I was going to say, fight. That, that's yeah. not allowed. Or whenever we went prom dress shopping and, you know, my daughter was like, I do not want to look like a frumpy pilgrim. Like, I, not saying that all Mormon girls look like frumpy pilgrims when they wear their prom dresses, but she wanted to look like every other girl. She wanted to fit in. Oh, and yeah. you, and she could wear a long one, you know, past her knees. And yeah, it had spaghetti straws, but it, or, you know, maybe it was off the shoulder a little bit, but that doesn't mean that she looked like a whore. Right. But in our church, that's exactly what it meant. And and I let her one homecoming wear a dress that came up above the knee and it had spaghetti straps, but she felt comfortable. I allowed her. She had had a hard year with her anxiety and OCD. I allowed her to, to do that. Fought with him tooth and nail and still got an email telling me what a bad influence my daughter and I were on her daughter. Oh. Who was 12. Yeah, literally put that on me and said, you know, your daughter is, and, and what you're allowing her to wear is a, being a bad influence on my daughter. Hide those shoulders. Yeah. You bad Yeah, mother. because I know every guy out there, when they look at a shoulder, they're, I mean, boing, I, I don't know like how. like a napkin for your dripping sarcasm? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the tents that they pop are just unrealistic. <laughs> Uh, are unbelievable when they when a girl shows a shoulder. It's so fucking stupid. It's a shoulder, and it's not like her dress when she bent over. You could see her ass cheeks. Like this came to mid thigh. Wow. You know it. It's she had when she sat down. She sat down on material, and the dress wasn't even low cut to where you saw cleavage. Like it was one of those straight across square tops. Sounds perfectly modest. Yeah. Oh, but no, because those shoulders were out and that was giving boys boners all fucking night long, as well as the men, (laughs) the male chaperones that were there because 
little girls are responsible for a malfunction, you know. Of course. So I'm super angry about those topics. So we'll just move on. (laughs) (laughs) That'll come in a later podcast as a whole episode. Oh, I have so many things to say on that. (laughs) Okay. Number 10. When the relationship holds you back, hence preventing both of you from growing as individuals. And this is a good one because it's going to allow us to own some of the stuff that we've done as well. Because I I definitely wasn't perfect in my my marriage. Oh, no, no, no. Me neither. I might have held him back in in certain aspects as a result of a really bad relationship. You think so? Yeah, I do. Because I developed that super, super defensive attitude where I became very snippy because I I always expected it to go bad. So I just would snip first. Mm. You know, that makes sense. If, if I, if I knew it was, we were going to disagree and I knew he was going to be an asshole about it and I knew I was going to get beat down intellectually, then I just went ahead and was an asshole. Beat him to the punch. Yeah. Basically. Beat him to the punch. Yeah. And he eventually could come back and use that against me. Well, she's a very angry, aggressive person, but I was taught to be that. Right. I wasn't that way when we first met. You made me into that. Some people will say, no, you allowed yourself to be made into that, but whichever I became that because of having to constantly defend myself and beg for equal ground. Yeah. And and I, I don't know if it's the emotional and verbal abuse. That's the difference, but I went the polar opposite way. I just basically retreated into my shell and didn't bite back. And so I honestly can say that I don't think I held him back. I think I pushed him forward because I, I supported him in everything he did because I, I just thought the more I did that, the more I loved him and then it would come back to me. Yeah. No, no, but it didn't. No, no. Yeah. So I really don't think I held him back. He held me back for damn sure. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That that was um, one of the first times I've I've heard you sternly own that and, and not justify his actions, but basically say you needed you deserved more. You deserved better. I'm yeah. proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> that was a monumental moment. <laughs> Well, I I never, and I think I talked about this in an earlier episode, but I I never wanted to view myself as the victim because I was a strong, educated woman and basically raising daughters on my own. It's embarrassing to be the victim. Right. Whenever you're known as the strong woman and you've busted your ass to become that. And I couldn't even admit it to myself, let alone, you know, the fact that I was hiding it from everyone else too. But I was, I, I was the victim and I had you know, those things taken away from me and, and it's time to own them and move past it. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And look how far you've come. That's true. I have come very far, very far. I feel like I, I can now stand up for myself and say what I feel. And, And part of that is just because I've changed who's around me and I feel safe doing that with the people that I've surrounded myself with now. Yeah, I can honestly say that I'm not so... I'll always be a passionate speaker and talker. Like, it's just me. Especially when we're talking about stuff that I'm super passionate about. Like, I will always be that person. You understand that I'm just super passionate. Right. You don't see it as aggression. But a lot of people see it as aggression. But I am getting better to where I can communicate without expecting the worst on the other side. I can now allow conversations to happen and if they go bad then I'll react Mm -hmm. or say something but 
now I can actually get through a conversation and allow it to play out and not just assume or expect that it's going to go a certain yeah. way. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, we're on 11. We're almost done. I just want to say, dear God, this podcast was supposed to be the easiest one we've done so far. <laughs> and it has been the hardest one. It's just such so a good list. It Props is. To, to the people who put this list out and we'll tag them in the post. But yeah. Yeah, it's a great list. Yeah, it's made me think on really different levels. Number 11, when you stay on expecting things to get better, knowing that they aren't. I I think that just wraps up the entire marriage. Yeah. I I just, and that's the cycle of the narcissist too, because, and especially like you said this earlier and it really resonated with me, especially when they're narcissist and intelligent Mm -hmm. because they know exactly how to play that game. So when they're not in their shitty, pissy moods, they can be really good. Mm-hmm. You know, take me to my favorite restaurant and make sure we go to my favorite casino. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we didn't fall in love with some piece of shit, art, narcissistic <laughs> asshole. Well, no, they hid their crazy because yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the good was always good. But then... I knew the bad was coming, mm-hmm. especially after, you know, a few years, it, the good always led to the bad. And so it was that constant cycle of, okay, but it could get good again. Will it get good? It could. It's yeah. going to. Oh, look, it's good again. Maybe this is the last time it'll get bad. Boom. Nope. There's bad again. It's like you said, it, when you're up on the highs and you knew that every, for every high, there was always a low coming. Always. And the lowers seemed to get lower and lower mm-hmm. and the highs became less and less frequent. Yeah. And so I think that's ultimately what led me to leave. But at the beginning, well, for the first several years, it was just such a cycle that there was always that that hope, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, fully agree. (laughs) I also think that number 11 goes along with number seven when the when the same situation recurs, even though you've been addressing, addressing it or tried to address it. So I think those actually go hand in hand. Yeah. Number 12, the last one, when neither of you feel the same way about each other. Mm-hmm. That one's a hard one because I think there was definitely a point where he and I had fallen out of love with each other. But because of the church and our culture and our families and we were so, our lives were so ingrained, mm-hmm. neither of us wanted to admit that. I definitely, I definitely knew that I was falling out of love with him, but I wouldn't dare admit it. And I think that was why it was so shocking. And I knew that he was falling out of love with me because our sex life had changed to the point where it was non-existent. I mean, we're talking 18 months without sex as a married couple. That's, there's something wrong. That's not normal. Right. No, not at all. You know, and especially when you're very active in that area for Mm -hmm. so long. And then, so as you grow apart, I noticed that that changed. I noticed that we stopped doing stuff together. We went out with his friends, um, his doctor friends, and I was tired and needed to get home to the kids. And he was like, I think I'll stay. He would have never done that. Wow. I mean, does that even sound like no, him? No, no, not at all. A drinking party, by the way, because all of his doctor friends <laughs> Definitely drink. Definitely not at all. So all of his doctor friends were drinking, and I was allowed to go home, and he would just have someone bring me home. And it was a co-ed drinking party. That's wow. That's not at all what our relationship was ever about for 20 years. Mm-mm. So... I think we both definitely fell out of love with each other and we both changed over time because we were living parallel lives, but they weren't lives. It wasn't on the same road. It was on two separate roads 
going the same direction, but we weren't interacting with each other. And so it was like a intersection here and there. Yeah. yeah. So right. I, I definitely, I definitely think that we were not admitting that to each other. We were just holding on for dear life because that's what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We we're going through the motions and that is a very harmful and toxic thing because then our kids saw the fighting, our kids saw the the tension, our kids saw, oh, yeah. you know, you hear people talk about, they say, you know, we'll stay together for the kids, but I can't, I, I did that for a long time without realizing too. that staying, staying together with the kids is only acceptable if it's, if it's a happy household, if you can maintain a, a friendship or an agreement. But if it's in constant turmoil and y'all are fighting and screaming and yelling and the tears are coming more and more. The kids listen. They hear that <laughs> every second it, of it, and it affects their lives. So, so I, I am not a believer, or will I will not advocate for stay together for the kids. No, uh, I know every situation is different, but if it's not a safe and very very emotionally healthy family. Absolutely not. No. No, because I left when my kids were older also. They were 15 and 19 and kept them way longer than I should have mm-hmm. in that situation. But I guarantee you 100%, even though it's been rocky since I left and we've all had a lot of healing and a lot of stuff to work through, they are 100% happier in a single parent household mm-hmm. than they ever were yeah. in a dual parent. And that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, mine too. Mine, they may not have, you know, have always agreed with how I've lived my single life because I've learned that teenage and adult children love, especially girls, love to have very strong opinions and love to give you their opinions about how you're living your new single life. <laughs> um, but they, all of my kids have told me that they they prefer their parents not together for various reasons mm-hmm. and mainly because the, the crying and the screaming and the yelling and the constant agony is is no longer present yeah and that it does it weighs on them so heavily Mm -hmm. and that was actually one of the last moments when I was I was still indecisive I was pretty sure I was ready to leave but I still wasn't 100% there and then he came home from work one day and he was just super crabby and it was always, you know, when he comes through the door, yeah. <laughs> which version are we getting? And he was super crabby. You could see it on his face. And my youngest said, okay, I'm going to my room for the rest of the night. And she turned around and she went upstairs to her room. And I just thought, I don't want my kids to fear their dad so much that they go retreat to their room. Yeah. And then I lose time with them. Right. Because they don't want to be around him. Because up until that point, y'all were having probably a lighthearted. Perfect evening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. Always. Yeah. And that's not to say you can't come home in a bad mood, but when it's incessant or it's a guessing game and you crave and beg for those moments, please just walk through the door, walk through the door, happy, 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 please, 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 fuck. Or if you know the bad mood's going to be taken out on you. Yeah. Everybody has their bad mood moments, but... But when you see that face walk through the door and, and then you constant. have that fuck moment mm-hmm. and then you know that if you don't escape, it's going to come out towards one of us. Yeah. You know, it's just like, OK, who, who's going to catch the shit first tonight? Right. right. And so why not retreat to your room? And yeah, once once that happened, that really helped me solidify my decision. Even though I was pretty much there, just I just thought that that's not fair. Why Why do I think I'm staying together for them when they want to get the hell away from him when he's like that? Yeah. I'm not doing them favors. I'm not doing me any favors. Like, who am I benefiting here? See, I, w- I wish that 
I don't wish. That's the wrong way to put it. I did not have that experience at all because we were still playing the Happy Mormon Mm, family. And my kids were still, when we were having good times, they loved us being a family. I mean, we were super, super close. We did everything together. And so they, they loved it so much that it wasn't until they got on the outside of it that they said, you know, oh, I'm glad that you and dad got a divorce. Hmm. Going through the divorce, they were very angry. Very angry. Felt like we betrayed them, especially me, because I'm the one that pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. Because I'd had enough. And I, I had to take the blame for that. I had to. I took the brunt of it because dad played victim. Dad played victim that, right. you know, she left me. She pulled the rug out from underneath me. She didn't try hard enough. She didn't. Because I didn't bring them into the last three years of her. I didn't tell them details. I didn't tell them what I had done the last three years. The crying, the begging, the right. going to you know the temple by myself. I didn't tell him any of that. And boy, he really played the victim. Yeah, you know, which he, came down on you because yeah. then it made you look Poor like the dad was going and, crazy. Right. And I had just I had just knocked the wind out of him. Well, fuck mom who was getting the wind knocked out of her for right. three years, knowing that I was fighting my ass off to prevent it, and then finally said I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And took my life back. And when I took my life back, it was almost at the almost at the detriment of losing some of my kids because mm-hmm. they were so upset at me. And then finally, when we got through that, that's when all three of them said, "No." Now that we're adults and we can look back, we mm-hmm. see the bigger picture that we couldn't see as teenagers. And we're glad you did what you did. Well, that's good. I'm glad that yeah. they were able to have that moment, even if it but was a little later than it, you know. Yeah. But that, that's that's another layer on top of everything that I didn't mention in a previous podcast when I was going through my divorce, losing my religion, losing my church family, losing my f- family that thought I wasn't trying hard enough, losing my friends who, you know, because I had now had a divorce plague and they didn't know how to talk to me. And right. I was going through all of that. And on top of that, was, you know, trying to protect my kids who were getting angry at the fact that mom and dad were getting a divorce. Right. It was just, it, it's a wonder. I'm starting to not blame myself and because I truly blamed myself whenever I dropped my basket and lost my shit after our divorce. Yeah. And <clears throat> in the grand scheme of things, was it, you know, was, was I that bad? Did I go out and rob banks? No. But I started drinking heavily. I did stuff I shouldn't do. You know, went to bars and. But do you know how danced on tables? (laughs) (laughs) Not gonna lie, I I I lived a college life for a split second because I just felt like I felt my whole world imploding. And no, I, I I totally get that. I every aspect of my life was was coming down on me and. It was all because I finally gave up, because I finally decided I didn't want to hurt anymore. I didn't want to beg anymore. And I lost everything. You, How could you not drop your basket for I a not? little bit? Yeah. And then people would use that against me and still to this day use it against me. But you know what? I am now, it, it's 2021 and I'm six years out and I can honestly say, fuck you. Like, fuck Good you if you. you're going to use that against me. Good for you. Because... I don't know many people that could have gone through all that loss at once, all of that loss at once, and come out even half as good as what I did. Yeah, I dropped my basket. Yeah, I went a little batshit crazy. Yeah, I had some fun. Yeah, I ended up dating a younger guy. But you know what? We're still together. Fuck you. 
And you're happy. And I'm happy. And it hasn't been perfect and it hasn't been easy, but I, I, you don't live my life. And so you can take your opinion and you can shove them right up your ass. Exactly. Because no relationship is perfect ever. And so, of course, yours isn't going to be, but you're both in it and you're both fighting for it. And that's more than you had before. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, ain't that the truth. You're both in. (laughs) Both fighting. He's fighting just as hard as you are, and I've seen that with my own two eyes. And how can anyone fault you for being in love with someone that loves you just as much? Yeah. And like I said, it's not perfect, but we're getting there. What is? What is? Nothing's perfect. No No relationship is perfect. I was married 20 years, and it wasn't perfect. It's a lot damn closer (laughs) to perfect. It's healthy. It's at least healthy. Healthy is is the new perfect. Yeah, it is. Hashtag Cheryl made that up. Y'all can use it, though. Y'all can use it. I'm definitely going to use it. (laughs) Yeah, and thank you for saying that. And that actually goes for you, too, and I hope you realize that because you are just beaming lately. (laughs) Well, thank you. I have heard that from a couple people now, and and it's just happiness. Yeah. I don't know what else to call it. When I posted our recent thing, I had friends from, you know, my daughter's high school that just reached out and said, you are absolutely glowing. And I thought, oh, what? And I went back and I looked, and I was like, okay, I am. Hey, we are glowing. We are glowing. We look so freaking happy. Yeah. Well, I I think that it just, it radiates from within. It really does. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what being with someone who will go all in with you does. Yeah. For your happiness. True. Very true. (laughs) And on that note... We'll end on a good note. We'll end on a gushy, gushy (laughs) note about our new men's. This was supposed to be a lighter. This was supposed to be a lighter lighter thing. It was was not. This podcast got kind of heavy, but that's okay. So um, we just will wrap it up now and wish you all a wonderful two weeks. And we will be back for episode eight. Woohoo!